Good morning. My name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bell Mead. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us. If I have not met you, I would love the chance to meet you after the service. We have great new visitor bags, and they may or may not have Goo Goo Clusters in them. Goo Goo Clusters in them. So if we haven't met, I would love to meet you in the back on your way out. If you're worshiping with us online, we welcome you. Say hello to Rachel. She is our online pastor. Today we are in our second Sunday of our August sermon series called All In. We're talking about what it might look like to go all in with Jesus. And we're sort of framing this month uh, looking at five things. Our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Now, if you're a member of, of our church, you know that those are your vows of membership, that you uh, you say that you're going to faithfully participate in the ministries of this church through your prayers, your presence, your gifts, service, and witness. And that's really important. But first, we want to say we're going to do all those things for Jesus. And I hope that as an aside, that means you are praying for the church and showing up at church and giving to the church and serving and witnessing as our church. We began last Sunday by looking at Luke chapter 6, and we saw that Jesus got into some conversations with Pharisees, religious leaders of the time, and that after those conversations, really they were like arguments, uh, Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray, and Jesus prayed all night long. Now, when Jesus came down from the mountain the next day, he called his disciples to him, and he appointed those 12 apostles that we know. It lists all of their names. And so one of the things we see is that Jesus makes prayer a priority in his life, that prayer helps lead to discernment. And so if we have questions about our faith, if we're asking God, how do you want me to go all in, prayer is a big piece of that. Last week, we also talked about what our priorities really are and how to conceptualize them. And so sometimes we talk about our priorities as an ordered list of importance. My example was, I'm a mother, a wife, a pastor. And there are times when it's necessary for me to fill one of those roles uh, instead of the others. But that maybe we can have a visual that helps us think of not compartmentalizing ourselves that Jesus actually calls us to bring every piece of who we are when we follow him. So we talked about this uh, web, a visual of a web, these interconnected values and priorities with Jesus at the center. We also talked about how easy it is to find ourselves in a place where we're sort of living halfway or straddling the fence, like we're committed to things, but we're kind of sitting back to see what happens. I thought about that this uh, Friday as my husband Mark and I went on a lunch date, which we like rarely get to do, uh, but we went to East Nashville to a place called Butcher and Bee. And like most of you, we live over here on the west side. So as we were driving home from this restaurant along 40, I noticed that exit 199 was coming up. That's Old Hickory Boulevard. And we exit at 196. Now, the reason that I have to pay attention every time I see 199 is because it's that exact place that for some reason I slip into a trance <laughs> and I end up down at McCrory Lane or in Kingston Springs. This has happened to me like three times now. And so I saw 199 and I was just like very intentionally waiting for exit 196. 
And I thought, you know, that's kind of what life is like sometimes. We get on cruise control and we lose some intentionality and we fail to be alert. But I feel like in this season, Jesus is saying, pay attention, stay awake, figure out how you're gonna get to where you wanna be and listen for where I am calling you to go. And so last week we talked about prayers. Today we're gonna talk about presence, showing up, being there for what Jesus calls you to do. Now, in Luke 6, when Jesus came down from that mountain and called his disciples, he began to teach. We call this sermon the Sermon on the Mount. These are uh, some of the most important teachings from Jesus about the kingdom of God. And after that teaching, between Luke 6 and Luke 9 that we're looking at today, these disciples followed Jesus and learned from Jesus and watched him heal people. And so today in chapter 9, it's with all that knowledge, we see that for the first time, he sends them out to do what they have been watching him do. Now, this happens four times in the Gospel of Luke. The first place is here. Uh, the next place is in Luke 10, where Jesus sends 72 disciples out two by two. Now that's important, uh, sort of as Pastor Gracie was saying, because we don't have to do this alone. We go out two by two in community to spread the news of the gospel. We see this again in Luke chapter 22. This is right before Jesus is betrayed. And he actually points his disciples back to Luke chapter nine. He says, remember when I told you to take nothing? Like now I want you to prepare because I'm about to leave. And the final time we see it is in Luke chapter 24. It's when the resurrected Jesus comes back to the disciples and sends them to Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so big picture, this is why this is important. In this gospel and throughout many other gospels, there is this pattern of gathering and scattering, of coming together and being sent out. Now, if we look at verse 10 in Luke chapter nine, which we didn't read today, uh, Jesus sends the disciples out to cure and to heal and to preach. And then verse 10 says that Jesus came back to them, called them back to him, and they told Jesus all that they had seen and all that they had done. So, but a big piece of what we're learning about in this passage is that this means that the disciples were to depend solely on God and the hospitality of others. And hospitality was crucial to the conduct of the church's mission. One commentator explains that if you look at the book of Acts or you look at 3 John or you look at the Didache, which is not a, a book in our Bible, but it was early teachings about those first followers you see that traveling apostles and prophets and evangelists always depended on the hospitality of believers everywhere that they went. As I dug in a little deeper into hospitality, I listened to a commentary by Dr. Amy Oden. She's the professor of early church history and spirituality. She works for several seminaries, uh, most notably St. Paul and Wesley Theological, where she was once the dean. And so she explained that hospitality as a value was important in the ancient world. There were many groups and cultures that felt, held hospitality in high regard. 
For early Christians, the distinction was hospitality meant welcoming the stranger. And so, like you, she asks, well, who is the stranger? And she says that prophets say these are the vulnerable groups, orphans and widows, foreigners, those who were imprisoned or poor or sick. That's why, for instance, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus names these people and says that they'll be welcomed into the kingdom. That's why Jesus says, when we welcome the stranger, we welcome him. This is one way to be close to Christ and present to Christ. And so then she asked, well, what does welcome really look like? What does hospitality mean? And so she explains that there's passages all in the Bible and you have to pay attention to context, but mostly there are patterns that emerge. And there are these four movements when it comes to hospitality. The first is greeting. And greeting isn't just opening the door when your doorbell rings. It is actually seeing someone down the road and going to meet them where they are. So I imagine this is like the father who sees his lost son and he runs down the road to greet him. The second movement is restoration, giving the person what they need, meeting their basic needs of shelter and food, foot washing, healing, even taking care of their animals. The one that really caught my attention was extending your social networks to the stranger. The third movement is dwelling together, like bringing that person into your life, even the mundane things like washing the dishes. It also meant asking the stranger's story. And the final movement, which was always important, was sending forth. Welcoming the stranger was not intended to create long-term systems of dependence. Sometimes sending them forth meant that you walked them to the next town or that you wrote letters of introduction to people that they would meet next. And so when we think about hospitality, there's this really rich understanding from scripture. And being hospitable, this kingdom value, means that we will go out of our way. We will use our social networks. We will ask for people's stories and we will tell them our own. We will practice this sending nature of the kingdom and we will care for the vulnerable. So what can this hospitality look like today? This week, my uh, dear friend, Mary Kate, someone I've been friends with for 15 years now, who's also a United Methodist pastor, shared a story on her social media about her son Foster's first day of kindergarten. Now, like most people who have a child going to kindergarten, there's a lot of anxiety and worry. When you have a kid at preschool, you get these awesome texts and updates during the day telling you exactly what your child is doing. But when you go to kindergarten, that doesn't happen anymore. So she was feeling this general anxiety about her five-year-old going to a new school. But she explained that she had added anxiety because of his, uh, aller his allergy to peanuts, that she was mostly concerned about how the cafeteria would go because her son had not been around peanuts since he had his anaphylactic reaction just before his first birthday. Now, Foster was starting school on a Tuesday. And Tuesday and Thursday at this elementary school was peanut butter and jelly day in the cafeteria. 
And so she talked about how her and Foster went over the ways that he washes his hands and wipes down the tables. She mentioned how she had already spoken to the cafeteria workers and the school nurse. But that Monday night before peanut butter and jelly day Tuesday, she had a lot of anxiety. So she went to Facebook, the to, to place we go, to a group of people who were a part of the school, just like we have our own church Facebook group. And she asked if there were other parents with kids with these kind of allergies. And people were so kind, they reassured her. Uh, they talked about how they had, they had also talked to the cafeteria workers. And so the next day, Foster went to school. He came home Tuesday night. And that Tuesday night, the school nurse commented on Mary Kate's post from the day before, and she told this story. She said, I went to the cafeteria and I got to meet your sweet boy. He did a great job using the wipes that you packed, even though I told him that the custodians had already wiped off the table. He made sure to do it too. But she said, my favorite part was the five-year-old little boy sitting next to him. I noticed his sandwich and I asked him what was on it. And this five-year-old boy said, it's a jelly sandwich because my mom said, I'm gonna have a friend in class who can't have peanut butter and we want to help him. Would you understand me today if I said the kingdom of God is like a jelly sandwich? One way we are present to Christ is to be present to one another, particularly in our differences and our vulnerabilities. The final thing is this. When Jesus says, take nothing for the journey, we are reminded that life with God means completely surrendering ourselves. It means total and utter dependence on Jesus. No reliance on our staff or our bag or our material possessions. No efforts to climb a social ladder. No wealth, no attachments. Following Jesus means showing up with nothing but our whole self, clinging tight to him, watching him, learning from him, and then being sent out, trusting that we will be provided with everything that we need. Church, what I'm saying to you today is this, it takes nothing to be all in with Jesus, and it takes everything. Amen.